0: Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on september sixteenth, twenty twelve. Today's message is Persevering Through Trials by Pastor Ryan Cochran based on James chapter one verse twelve through eighteen. Join me in prayer as we as we come now to listen to God's word. Heavenly Father, we are your disciples, disciples of your Son Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to hear from him so that we may become like him. It would be a people who hear from you very truly in our life, and God, who respond in obedience. So as we hear from James today, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to follow you as your disciple. Amen. May the Lord be with you. you. Amen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trial of many kinds. This was our uh, the key verse that we looked at last week. James begin his, begins his entire letter with those words. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And it's at that point, at the very beginning of his letter, that we realize that we're dealing with a pastor in Pastor James. James is a man who is concerned about the trials of those who are under his care. At the very beginning of this letter, he gives instructions about how they, uh, who are going through very many different kinds of trials, how they can consider it pure joy. How can they can handle and endure these trials that they are going through? Because he knows, and we all know, that we will go through them. All of us will go through trials. James is very clear about that. He doesn't say that we should consider it pure joy if we happen to go through them, but when we go through them, whenever you go through trials of many kinds. Encountering trials in our Christian walk is promised to us. We will face trials. And the promise from God is that he will be with us in them and that he offers us wisdom, offers us wisdom in order that we can get through that trial. The presence of pain in our life does not mean the absence of God. I think that's a, a good thing for us to consider as we look at the first chapter of James, that the presence of pain and trials in our life does not mean that God is absent. There are, are some false Christian teachings out there that you may have heard, maybe some on television, maybe that you've countered them in other places, uh, that says that if you are going through a trial if you are suffering in some way, then it's somehow your fault, and that if you had enough faith, or if you would have done something else in the right way, or if you would have used the right formula when you prayed, that you wouldn't be going through this suffering, wouldn't be going through this trial. Trials are promised in the Christian life. And the presence of those trials and pain does not mean that God is absent or that he is somehow angry with you. And in fact, James tells us that God is uh, is very uniquely present to us in our trials and encourages us to turn to God and ask for wisdom to help us get through those trials. In the midst of our trials, God is there. And James gives us the permission, the opportunity, uh, the command even to ask for wisdom to help us to persevere. James also gives a promise to those who persevere, and we didn't get to this verse last week. Please open up your Bibles if you have closed them, or if you haven't opened them yet. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12. James gives a promise to those who persevere under trial. He says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, that God has promised to those who love him. For those who persevere under trial, for those who do not lose faith, for those who fix their gaze on Christ in the midst of their trial, for those who ask for wisdom to persevere and who persevere to the end, their reward is great. They are given the crown of life. Maybe for many of you here in this morning who are going through a trial, that this is the word for you today. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Maybe this is where some of you are right now. You're suffering. The pressures of your life are squeezing in on you. Your your marriage is struggling. The financial pressures of your life are weighing heavily on you. Physically, maybe you're sick, you're going through depression or anxiety. If that is you this morning, maybe verse 12 is the word that you need to hear today. Blessed are you who persevere under trial, because when you have withstood the test, you will receive the crown of life. Hold on to Christ. He is your hope. Do not lose faith. He has not, and he will not abandon you. Maybe that is the word that you need to hear today. All of us go through trials, difficulties in life of many kinds, and in those times, James tells us that God is doing something in us. He's developing maturity in us. And that's why we should consider it pure joy. Because God is there in our trial, doing something in us, bringing us to maturity. This morning, we're going to talk about a different kind of trial than maybe we typically think of. Uh, Not the trials of physical suffering, not the trials of mental anguish or depression or anxiety or or the loss or death of a loved one. This morning we're going to talk about a different kind of trial, the trial of temptation, the temptation to sin, the temptation to walk away uh, and not be obedient to Christ, the temptation to follow the desires of our flesh and to listen to the word of Satan rather than to the word of God. In the verses that we're going to look at today in James, Pastor James does us a great act of service to help us understand temptation. What James does in verses 13 through 18 is that he he pulls the veil back from us and shows us what's really going on in our day-to-day lives as we face temptation. When the kid is in the candy store and he's tempted to take the candy bar, There's something going on in that boy's heart and in the spiritual world that you and I cannot see with our eyes. And what James is doing in these verses is he's peeling back that veil in order for us to see what's happening in our lives when we are going through temptation. Now I don't usually tell very many jokes here at Ebenezer, but I've got a joke for you today, so you can be ready to laugh. One day, there was uh, a man who was going through uh, the monthly bills in in his house, and he came across a bill that was obviously purchased from his wife. It was for $500 for a dress. This man became very angry, called his wife into the room and said, Dear, um, how could you spend $500 on a dress? We can't afford to buy that dress. You know that we can't afford to buy that dress. The wife responded, Dear, I'm sorry. The, The devil made me buy that dress. I put it on, and the devil just told me how great I looked in that dress. The man became even more angry. Well, well, dear, why didn't you at that moment say, get behind me, Satan? And the wife said, oh, I did say that, but he said the dress looked great from behind, just as much as it looked from the front. Okay, so that joke was about a B+. Plus. Cool. Use that one again sometime. That one worked. All of us have our areas of temptation, don't we? Some of us are tempted to gossip about others in order to make us feel better about ourselves. Others are tempted in the area of sexuality. Others are tempted to find their security in money. Each of you know your area of temptation. I don't need to list all the different areas that we are tempted. We'd be here for a long time. For each of us, we know our temptations, and when we face those temptations in that moment, all of us are usually kind of stuck in the pressure of that moment. It's difficult for us to see or to understand anything else beyond that immediate choice that we're faced with, whether or not to enter into and succumb to that temptation or to resist it. We're just stuck right there in the middle of it. And what James does in these verses is he pulls back the veil in order to help us to understand really what's going on in our hearts, what is really going on in the spiritual world, what is really going on with Satan in our hearts, and how God is faithful in that moment. What James reveals to us in these verses is the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. And if we're going to persevere through temptation, if we're going to overcome temptation, if we're going to go through that trial of temptation and hold on to Christ, then we need to know this word of truth about ourselves and this word of truth about who God is. James 1, verse 13, begins this way. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I admit to you that this verse has stumped me for most of this week. Because I've never thought, and I really haven't heard anyone, at least in the circles that I'm in, who has said, I think that God is tempting me. I think in our evangelical churches, we do tend to understand that uh, temptation comes from some other source, that it doesn't come from God. But it seems that there were some in the church that James was writing to who believed that one of the ways that God tested his people for faithfulness was to put sin in front of them and to see if they would fall for it to see if they would actually do evil in order to find out if they really loved him. So maybe there are some of you in this room today who think that way about God. If that is the case with you, let's hear very clearly from James. When tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor can he use evil to tempt others. It's not the way he works. But as I really struggled and wrestled with this verse this week, what what I really came to see in my understanding of this verse is that this really gets to the heart of the question that has been asked since the Garden of Eden. The question is this, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? Is God good? And I think that this is the question that in many ways has been haunting God's people from the very beginning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to read through the very first temptation. The very first temptation. In Genesis 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I want you to take notice of the way that Satan the serpent, acts in this passage. Satan emphasizes God's prohibition. He suggests to Eve that God isn't good. Eve, did not God say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Eve very quickly corrects him. No, God said that we could eat from all of the trees except for one. But immediately, Satan has called into question God's goodness. He points to God's boundaries and suggests to Eve that the boundaries that God has put in place for her are not good for her. Eve, forget about the freedom that God has given to you. Forget about all the fruit of the other trees that God has given to you. Forget about the gift that God has given to you to be a steward in his good world. Forget that God has blessed you. Forget that you get to enjoy at all times the presence of your creator. Forget everything that God has given you freedom to do, and instead, pay attention to the boundary, what God has prohibited. Eve, pay attention to that. God is not good, Eve. He wants to keep something good from you. And in that moment, Eve was hooked. She forgot God's goodness, his provision, forgot the freedom that he had given to her and to Adam uh, to enjoy the garden, and instead looked outside those gifts and wondered if God was good. good. He is good. Amen, brother. He is. That's right. Thank you. The temptation of Adam and Eve is so similar to the temptation that all of us face. The temptation to believe the lie that God isn't good. That there is something else other than God that could satisfy us. And so so James removes this veil from us. James tells us God is good. God can be trusted. Back to James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. As he's talking about temptation, he focuses on God's goodness Do not be deceived, verse 16, my dear brothers. Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So, if every good and perfect gift comes from God, if there is something that is placed before you that you know is not from God, then you can know that it is not good and it is not perfect, that it will lead to death rather than to life. God is good, and he has set boundaries for us in our life for our good, not because he does not want to experience joy in all all its fullness, but because he does. He knows what is best for us as our creator. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. If we are going to persevere through temptation if we're going to overcome the trial of temptation in our life, we must know and believe that God is good, that what his word says about our joy and our happiness is true. Too often, we do not trust that God is good. Like Eve, we believe the lies of Satan that say to us that God is trying to keep something good from us, and that if we only stepped outside of what God has said for us, then maybe we will then be satisfied in life. Maybe then the restless hearts that we have will be fulfilled. God is good. His word is true. What he says is good for us. If we're going to persevere through the temptation, we must believe that he and his word are good and true. That's what James says about who God is and his character when it comes to our experience of temptation. He reminds us that God is good we also need to know the truth about ourselves. Not only the truth about God, but also the truth about ourselves. Look at verses 14 and 15. Each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Who is the source of temptation? It's not God. It's not even Satan. It is us. It is us. It is our own desires. When studying the book of Jude last month, we talked a little bit about desire during one week. Because of sin, our desires are disordered. God has given us desire as a gift so that we would seek after him. But our desires because of sin have been disordered. St. Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God has made us to be creatures of desire so that we would seek him out until we find him. And God has made us to find our final satisfaction and joy, the satisfaction of our desires in him. But we are too easily satisfied with lesser things. Too easily satisfied with lesser things. The source of our temptation is not God or Satan. The beginning of our temptation is our own evil, disordered desires. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is that our first response needs to be a response of confession, to name the things in our life that we desire that are not God, and to do this even before we're tempted by it. Have you ever done that before? I imagine that most of you in this room have some way that you will regularly confess your sins to God and maybe even to another person. Uh, but what if we made it our practice to name and to pay attention to the desires of our heart before it allows us to lead, be led into sin? If we bring those things to light, uh, we are confessing our disordered desire. And we're bringing them before God, bringing them to light and asking him to reorder our hearts, to reorder our desire, so that we will know that he is good in his gifts are good. Overcoming temptation requires us to know the character of God, and it requires us to also know ourselves, to be aware of, and I suggest to name the things in our life that we desire that are not from God. So I want to ask you this morning, would you consider doing that, both with God and with another person? To name in your life your disordered desire. To admit that there's a part of you that does not believe that God is good, but that instead that you could find satisfaction in something else. To admit to yourself and to another person that sometimes God himself doesn't seem to be enough for you and to confess that your restless heart is going after other things. As I said last week, James is a book about action. So will you, on this topic, take action or not? Will you listen to this word from James today and and nod your head and say, well, that was a really good sermon, or that was a so-so sermon, or whatever else, and walk away? Or will you take action? I want to suggest to you that this is the action that you could take. There may be many others, but this is the action that you could take to take time to consider your desires and to ask how they are directed toward that which is not God and God alone, and confess that to God and to another person. Maybe you could take time this week to consider how you use your words. Do you try to make people think well of you by tearing other people down or by telling lies about yourself? Well, confess that you desire the acceptance of other people more than you desire the acceptance of God and that you use your words in order to gain that acceptance in one way or another. Maybe you should consider the use of your money. Jesus is very clear. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What does your money say about the way you, what is the way you use your money say about what you desire? That will be a very obvious way in your life to reflect to you your disordered desire. For some of us, it will be very obvious as we discover that the way that we use our money reflects that we desire new things, acquiring new things, or finding our safety and satisfaction in things rather than in God. Maybe you should consider the use of your time. How much of your time is spent on your leisure and entertainment rather than service to God and neighbor? Considering this may lead you to confess That you desire to satisfy your immediate comforts, your immediate pleasures, rather than serving God and neighbor. Pay attention to the desires of your heart and the ways that those desires lead you into sin. That's what James tells us. Each one is tempted, not when Satan comes along and puts something in front of us. James tells us that we are tempted when we desire something first. And that's the moment That's the hook that Satan uses. And so we need to ask, what are we desiring? What is the thing that we want? And if it's not God, to confess that and to name it and to bring it into the light. I suggest that that's the action from James that you could take this week to consider your desires, to name them, and to confess them to others. Persevering through temptation Being a doer of the word, according to James, is a matter of life and a matter of death. According to James, there is only one of two things that are being birthed out of our actions, either death or life. Verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. But if we are listening to God's word and responding to him, life is, is what is being birthed. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. If your life is characterized by sin, if your life is characterized by giving in to temptation, by living according to the evil desires of your heart, And that sin is giving birth to death in your life. But if we walk according to God's word and his truth, James says that God's word is birthing life in us. Overcoming temptation, persevering through temptation, I want to say to you today, is not simply about sinning a little bit less. It's much deeper than that. Persevering through temptation is a matter of the transformation of our hearts and the transformation of our desires, which leads us to act in ways that lead to death or to life. So when I want to ask you today, will you take action today? Or will you be a hearer of the word of God and not a doer? Will you take action today in this area of temptation and act in some way uh, to respond to how you can better respond to the temptation in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for Pastor James, Lord, for his concern for the people that he knew personally, and his concern for your people, even us today, and helping to give us wisdom to know how to persevere through trials, trials that come our way each day, physical suffering, uh, mental anguish, the loss of loved ones. Uh, God, you tell us, uh, James tells us, to consider those things pure joy because you, Father, are working in our lives. Lord, we also want to acknowledge that you are present in times of temptation. Lord, that we can turn to you and trust that you are good. Lord, we ask for your help in knowing this, knowing this truth about who you are as our good God, and knowing the truth about who we are. Knowing the truth that we have evil desires in our hearts that lead us to act in ways uh, that lead us far from you and that lead to death. Help us to know these things so that we may overcome the temptation in our life. Amen.